the Bible, God's good book, God's first book in his book of books cuts through the inflation of human nonsense. Thank God. Genesis chapter 12 makes it really clear that the meek shall actually inherit the earth. <laughs> Here's the thing. The meek actually do get God. It's the non-meek who totally whiff every time they swing at the idea of God. So come on in and let's meet someone who is meek. Someone who the world would consider a nobody. His name is Abram, a hero of meek proportions. Come on in. channel. Always glad that somebody shows up to uh, actually uh, just have a good conversation about God, to have a good conversation about the Bible. But our main ambition here at the Biblical channel is just that we would be strong by actually reading the Bible. It's the Bible itself that wants us to ring the chamois of life to the, to the most fullest possibilities. Um, it is God who is on our side. It is the Bible that takes our life very seriously and actually defines and describes the life in which we live in a way that nobody else does. Everybody else just fun suckers. Taking away the fun. The Bible is here to restore joy in our life so that we can get on with the business and enjoy every moment of our life to the best that we possibly can with the absolute assurance that we are good with God. That's the Bible's aim because that's God's aim. And, and listen, when we gather here, we're just putting God's words up there and we're reading them right. Reading the Bible right. That's what we want to do here at the Biblical Channel. And we want you to have conversations confidently about what the mes message of the Bible is, how to read it right. You know, we want you to sound like the smartest person in the room when the topic of God comes up. We don't want you feeling all flat-footed, all of that, you know, which we've all been there. So we're just uh, talking with one another. And we're talking about the Bible itself and these passages that well, oftentimes, to be honest, uh, don't get read. So we're going to read it. We're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 to chapter 12, verse 4. Just a few verses. We will read that up front. Before we do anything, though, let us pray like the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our text goes like this, and it's, it's a little bit of dry reading. But in this dry reading, hmm, there is quite the punch from the meek, God's meek. Anyhow, it goes like this. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, uh, his grandson, 
and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Turan were 205 years, then Turan died in Haran. Ah, what a bunch of sorry sons of meekness, huh? Well, anyhow, the text goes on. Chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, and in you, hmm, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Bam, there we go. That's our verse. Um, and, and, and let's just take a look at this and see what's going on. But before we get any further, what we got to do is we always have to remember the story so far because this is a continuous storyline that's going forward. And we got to remember the story so far. And what we have learned in Genesis, really chapter 3 to 11, the story so far, that there's a bit of a pattern that keeps recurring here. And the pattern that keeps re recurring is based on God establishes a rule with people, um, and then there is rebellion. Um, and, and the rule, by the way, is not hard. And then there's rebellion. And the rebellion is always pretty predictable. It's pretty familiar to us. And it's always based on self-determination. And then there's a judgment. Um, and that judgment leads to loss and alienation. And then there is grace which is totally God's business. And that is the main message in, you know, the first 11 chapters is God's grace is abounding everywhere. God's problem is not he's too mean. God's problem is he's too nice, if you ask me. Now, I don't think God would say he's too nice. Um, but the world around me and you keeps, you know, pretending that God is so blasted mean. But he's not. He's actually too nice. Nicer than we are. That's for sure. So let's just remind ourselves that this little pattern in the Adams, the original couple, uh, Adam and Eve, but the Adams, uh, because we are all Adams still. And if you want to track down what we did earlier in the book of Genesis, go back there and you'll find out all about the Adams. But the Adams were given a simple rule. Um, eat of all of the trees, except the tree of good and evil. Ah, you'd think that would be easy, but it wasn't. No, rebellion. Uh, rebellion for Adam and Eve looked like, uh, well, looked like it does for us. Distort the motivations of God. And once you distort the motivations of God, well, now you're free to do what you want, supposedly. And then there is a judgment. Uh, God had warned that there would be a judgment, and so now there's a judgment. It's not a big surprise. But the judgment that God um, renders is one of physical death and spiritual death, that relationships now will break down everywhere, uh, both with God and with each other. And at, the atoms are now going to live outside in a very broken world. But there's grace in the picture, uh, grace that begins with God clothing them and making some nice digs for them. But the grace is also built around this promise that God makes, uh, a promise that there will be a seed or a son of the woman that will actually bring salvation and defeat evil. And that's what we're keeping our eye on for the whole entire storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
it is that promise that holds the whole Bible together. Remarkably, it's incredible to us, yes, but it is what we need to, well, humble ourselves to understand. And then there's Cain, you know, the, the, the famous son of the Adams family. And, and Cain, the rule that God, you know, has established for Cain, not hard. Um, it's just do what is right and you'll be accepted. Uh, you'd think that'd be easy enough for Cain, but it's not. And he rebels. And the way that Cain rebels, again, it's very familiar um, to us and predictable for us. And it's still about self-determination. And that is, go ahead and treat God like he's a joke. And, uh, well, kill those who don't treat God like he's a joke. So Cain um, ends up killing his brother Abel because Abel took God seriously. And uh, he actually did well and was accepted by God. And it's Cain who uh, can't be bothered, thinks God's a joke, etc. Shrugs his shoulders, whatever the case might be. Um, and, well, then there is judgment to be had, of course. There's judgment. And so God's judgment on Cain is to, well, cast him out and to make him wander, become a nomad, that kind of thing. But God's grace is seen once again, um, which is God's business. God's grace is to put a protective mark on Cain. And he lets Cain live out his life, even though his life appears to be uh, a life of, well, being an alien, uh, he still lets Cain live out his years. And that's awfully gracious, if you ask me. Then there's Noah and the whole storyline around Noah. Again, the rule is very simple. It's not hard. It's the same rule that Cain had. And that is do what's right and you will be accepted. Just that easy. But that seems to be way too hard for what seems to be the majority of the world. Everybody except Noah's family, it seems like use their imaginations. Um, uh, well, the imagination of the heart is just used for overwhelming amounts of evil. And so there is a judgment and that judgment is to flood the creation, to kind of set the creation back to its, uh, well, beginning. There's a creation do-over um, in all of this, but that yet again, there is grace, God's grace, which is his business. And that is he reinstates his promises and his plans. Um, and that moves the story forward to Babel. And by the time we get to Babel, well, the rule is, is very simple. Spread out and fill the earth like, you know, God had told the Adams, like God had told Noah and his generations. But once again, spread out and fill the earth. Do what's right. Don't kill uh, people. No, it seems to be too hard or, you know, too incomprehensible for people to understand the humans the atoms and so we see rebellion and the rebellion in the Babel story looks like this it's just an unholy unity and this unholy unity is all about making a name for themselves and not only are they making a name for themselves but they're gonna make their own way into the heavens they're probably even gonna make their own heavens for Pete's sakes Wow human beings but once again, that's all pretty familiar, pretty predictable, and it's still based on self-determination. But once again, God and his grace uh, dominate even that uh, because, well, there is a call of a man named Abram. And that's what's going to bring us to our passage. The call of Abram is very interesting because in the face of this bombastic, you know, spread of evil and the establishment and the rise of tyrannical nations like Egypt and Canaan and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, which is all part of the point there. In the face of all of this, God is going to call a guy by the name of Abram and Abram out of Abram. God is going to build a nation, a nation that will actually bring salvation 
and blessing to, wait for it, all the families of the earth. All the families in every nation will be able to be blessed from what God does with Abram. Abram is representative of just God's commitment to goodness. And it's not the world that is committed to goodness. It is God that is committed to goodness. And that's the story that's shaping up right before our very eyes. And so clearly this story that we read seemed a little boring, but the boring nature of the story of Abram's background and his family history here, well, is part of the story that he is boring. He's a nobody, especially when we consider the bombastic rebellion of mankind just a chapter before, just less than a chapter before. But that rebellion, that rebellion and that big bombastic expression of man um, is going to be matched by God's grace once again. And Abram is going to represent the embodiment of God's grace. There's nothing about Abram that's cool. He's just a loser, um, baby, as, as the song might say. Soy un perdedor. I'm a loser, baby. It's kind of what Abram's life is, is like. There's absolutely nothing special about that. But, but the, the reader, the reader, if you read this right, if you've read from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis you know, chapter 12, now the reader should be saying, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat! Jump on Jehoshaphat. Here is an Adam who actually responds to God correctly because, as we're told, Abram just went. So God interrupts Abram's life, says to Abram, do this, and Abram does that. And, and the reader is supposed to have this kind of feeling like, whoo, my goodness, it's about time somebody is able to respond to God correctly. You know what I'm saying? Um, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. Didn't look good. It didn't look pretty. It didn't look like it was going to happen. Didn't look like there was ever going to be another Noah. It just seemed like the whole world was going to keep wandering off and going astray. But God's pattern of giving grace, even in the face of rebellion, should have been in the back of our minds. We should have been anticipating that God is going to do something. But when God does something, it's a bit of a surprise to what he does because it's just so humble and well, let's face it, it's boring. What a bunch of sorry sons of meekness this storyline is about. Whether it's Abram or whether it's his dad or whether it's his extended family, it doesn't matter. They're all pretty boring. They're all pretty much nobodies. In fact, we might even, you know, dare to say they have no clue about God, really, because uh, to live in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans is to be a moon worshiper. And, you know, Abram's wife and his brother's wife, you know, seem to be bearing the name of, of moon goddesses. And, you know, so all of these names, you know, do have a little bit of meaning. And there's nothing in the names of these meaning, meaning of these names that give us a clue that anybody understands God or anybody's really on board with God. It's just that God decides to give it a try with Abram to see how he responds. If Abram responded Poorly, I suppose the story would have to move on differently, but we don't have to worry about that because here, jumping Jehoshaphat, Abram responds well. 
Amen. Amen to that, man. I don't know about you, but I'm always relieved when somebody just responds well to God. You know, to the simple stuff. Do what is right and you will be accepted. You know, listen, God's demands are not impossible. They're actually pretty, pretty, pretty easy to understand and pretty, pretty doable. Easy so to speak. And it's us that makes an absolute mess out of it in the same pattern that we saw with the Adams, Cain, Noah, Babel. This story um, of stories is the way that life is experienced by all of us today, which is what makes the story so valuable to us, because it's the only story that really is speaking real truth. Everybody else is just BSing, if you know what I mean. Paul in Galatians, you know, that apostle Paul that gets on many people's nerves. Well, Paul in Galatians is actually going to say that this passage right here is really where the gospel begins. The good news, woohoo! the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news period, the good news from God actually begins right here with Abram, Ab future Abraham. You know, it's going to be the same guy, but Right now, his name is just Abram. We'll talk about his name change later on. But the big feeling here is, you know, W-U-T. What? What? The gospel begins here? This is big and incredible news? Well, yeah. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, this is the beginning of an incredible storyline. Um, and incredible indeed it is to most hearers. In fact, it has no credibility whatsoever to most people who listen to it. But that's beside the point. We'll get to that in a minute. But anyhow, this, this, uh, who is this Abram does come to our mind and the preceding material, these are the generations of Terah, which is Abram's father and his extended family. But let's be honest from the world standpoint here, these are nobodies. These are absolute nobodies. There's, there's, there's nothing going on here. There's nothing, you know, th these aren't cool people. You know, these aren't, uh, you know, fashionable people. These aren't, you know, society people. These aren't, uh, you know, smart people. Uh, they're just people. Real, super, ordinary, average people. Humans. Atoms. And the, ten the tension here is what you can't miss. The tension that is here is that in this story of what appears to be humble nothingness, humble pie, uh, the tension, you can cut it with a knife because previously mankind is trying to save itself with its own bombast in that Babel story and its tyranny, you know, and that's the way mankind rolls. Mankind is always convinced that bombast and tyranny are what is going to save the day and save ourselves. But God enters the scene here with a boring, boring genealogy to remind us that God is going to save humanity with the meek. That's right. God is going to save humanity with the meek. M-E-E-K. The humble nobody will be the hero of our story. Abram, son of Terah. Who? Well, nobody. His dad was a nobody. He's a nobody. <laughs> it reminds me of that song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. When you're perfect in every way, like me, I get up in the morning and look in the mirror. I swear I'm better looking each day. 
To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Well, when that is your attitude like it was my attitude for 28 years, you will always miss God. When that's your version of humility, <laughs> you will miss God. So we don't want anybody to miss God because where God turns up is in the humble. And it's in the humble that the storyline of God begins and ends. That's the way God rolls. So from the Bible's own point of view, the Bible's not trying to make something out of nothing. The Bible's very clear about the nothingness of these people, the nothingness of Abram, the nothingness of Peleg, the nothingness of Shem, the nothingness of Noah, the nothingness of Enoch, the nothingness of Seth. The world counts these people as nobodies because they were all meek, because they were all well, just simply not the mighty men of the world, you know? And we heard a lot about the mighty men of the world and not in a positive view. God has no need for the mighty men of this world, which is why the world has so much trouble finding God is because they're always trying to find God in those who are incapable of finding God, and that is the non-meek. Because God will reveal himself in the meek. So when Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth, it seems like a turn of phrase that Jesus himself coined. And, and oftentimes we give Jesus like, you know, proprietary credit, you know, for this statement. But Jesus is, is saying what the Bible has said from the very beginning. Find God in the meek. Find God, and what Jesus is doing is, is in order to, uh, saying here is in order to find God. Well, you're, and, and if you really want to inherit the earth, well, you're going to have to be the meek. And so what Jesus is doing is just simply reaffirming God's plan from the beginning. It's not something new. Jesus, in his own mind, is not introducing something new. He's staying consistent with the way the story has rolled so far. But even when Jesus said what he said, nobody paid attention. Nobody paid attention because that's not the way the world around us rolls. It's not the way that our brain tends to operate. Our brain keeps looking at all the wrong people for all the wrong things. Jesus is reminding us that the Bible has always been telling us that it is in the meek that you will truly find God. And God's storyline in the Bible is all on meek people. That's right. Anyhow, today nothing has changed. Um, there, you know, this is still the way the world misses God um, by not being meek and not looking to the meek and uh, not being concerned about the meek. The Bible is simply incredible to the world around us. It was then and it is now. It's incredible because it just simply isn't credible. It's too hard to believe that God, you know, wouldn't use bombast and might and tyranny over our lives to reveal himself. No, no, it's incredible. We never think that the things that we don't look at are credible. We suffer from, you know, the disease of, of, of always looking um, at what we think we ought to look at. 
and what we think we ought to look at is the powerful, the strong, the mighty men of this world. We tend to live in an echo chamber that we just can't get out of. But the storyline is reinforcing this idea. Abram was a nobody. Abram's going to die a nobody in this story. Truly, the world's not going to take notice. The only one who's going to take notice to Abram and his birth and his death is God. And so the story will go on, but we'll catch up with the rest of the story later. But God is going to actually make a nation from Abram. That's what he promises. He says to Abram, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And when you do, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless though, bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God is going to make a nation from Abram, a, a nation of nothingness, really, from a person of nothingness. But even the nation that God makes here, when he does make it, even though Abram's never going to see this nation, the nation that God will eventually make, well, it too is going to pose no serious threat to Egypt, no serious threat to Babylon, no serious threat to the Assyrians. Well, and it may pose a serious threat to Canaan, but by the way, nobody liked Canaan anyhow. So nobody cared that uh, this little obscure people that called themselves the descendants of Abram were going to take over the Canaanites' land. Nobody liked the Canaanites. They weren't likable for a lot of reasons. But, but the ancient world, it's going to miss what God is doing because it's never going to look in the place of meekness. The nation of Israel will be the place of meekness. And when it is no longer the place of meekness, it will not be usable by God. The only one who really cares about this sorry son of meekness is the meek and God. And to understand God, we've got to humble ourselves um, because the whole storyline is based on humility and being able to humble ourselves and to track along with the humble storyline that God has put together. And only God could make something so big out of something so small. Um, then we will understand. And then we will find ourselves, and catch this, wait for it, we will find ourselves as the inheritance of God's earth. That's, that's, that's where God wants us. He wants us to be the inheritors of the earth. So when Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth, it is every intention of God to share this earth, to actually give this earth and everything in it that God has made for us as our inheritance. And when we are the meek, when we can humble ourselves and be the meek, we will now see and understand very clearly that the world is missing the mark and we are going to inherit the earth, whether they like it or not. So anyhow, um, it all reminds me, you know, of a, a coffee cup that a friend of mine gave me. And, and the coffee cup, I think, just, you know, absolutely establishes the principle that the Bible moves from the beginning to the end. 
And the coffee cup, it, it says this. I'll read it to you. It says, good morning. This is God. I will handle your problems today. I won't need your help. Have a cup of coffee and have a good day. You know, God's demands on us are really not hard. And that summarizes it perfectly. When we become the meek, we are now in a position to look at the bombast and the tyrannies of this world around us and just have a cup of coffee, knowing that it's God who is going to give this earth as an inheritance to the meek. And so the meek have no real need to worry about much because God's got this. And what we need to do is keep reading the story and telling the story so the people understand where to find God and where you will find God, where you will find the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and everything that God wants for us, well, is in a simple story that begins with Abram, a nobody like me and you, a meek guy. Um, and that's right where God wants us. And when we are in that spot that God wants us, we see the world in its biggest, fullest capacity. And, and we can actually wring the chamois of our lives out to its greatest extent and truly enjoy this world and have hope that God has got us. He's got our backs. He's got our problems that we don't have to worry about. And we just need to keep working our way forward, knowing, well, we're going to inherit this place no matter what the arrogance say, no matter what anybody says. So anyhow, that's where we're just going to end our time. We're going to do more with Abraham in, in the next series coming up. So join us next time. <music>